I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Johnny Ive pulled me over at a dinner recently in London. Ruthie, come and meet my great friend, Linda Evangelista. Well, I thought there'd be lots of topics to discuss, what it's like to be in her profession, what it's like to have worked with the world's greatest photographers, and to have done so much work in fashion. But Linda greeted me with so much enthusiasm. Ruthie Rogers, the River Cafe, wow. All she really wanted to do was talk about food, where to eat, what she cooks for her son, how a restaurant kitchen works. Linda's the opposite of cool. She's warm, she's engaging, and curious. I realize we're pretty much the same. She loves being home. I love being home. She adores her son. I adore mine. I'm not a model. She's not a chef, but we shared an immediate intimacy. So we thought, let's continue this conversation on Table 4. And here we are today in New York with my newest and loveliest, warmest, most wonderful friend, Linda Evangelista. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) So it is true. That's how we met. It is. We met over food. We then saw each other again over food. And here we are on a podcast, which is really talking about memories and how we cook and what we grew up with. So we have heard one of the things we love to eat is gnocchi. And so we have a recipe for you to read, which is gnocchi with slow-cooked tomato sauce. Do you would like to read the recipe? I would love to read And when you read it, you can change it, you can question it, you can add to it or take away. But that's the recipe that was in our most recent cookbook. It's a book for children, so it's quite a kind of simplification of how to make gnocchi, but we can talk more about that after you read the recipe. Okay. This it's great to see something in writing because I learned to make gnocchi with my grandmother. But it was never written down. And it was a little bit of this and yeah. this many eggs, depending how big they are, and some potatoes. Yeah, and some potatoes. That's <laughs> how we learned to cook. I mean, that's a beautiful way to learn. Mm-hmm. You know? Did she did she ever write anything down? She she couldn't write. Yeah. She didn't know how to write. She didn't know how to write no, in English she or a, didn't know how to write at all? She didn't know how to write at all. Yeah. She was a peasant. Mm. She was born in Italy, as was my father and my mother and yeah. all my grandparents. And do you speak Italian? Very badly I speak yeah. it. And my family speaks dialect. I know you're and, from... And proper Italian, but mm. at home they, they speak dialect. My parents spoke English to us growing up. And only when they were arguing did they speak to each other in Italian. So I can tell you where to go yeah. <laughs> in Italian, but I can't ask you, are you having a nice, nice day? day. <laughs> uh, or or that kind of words. But the, my husband, Richard, and dad's father, had Italian parents, and he had the same thing, that he heard Italian spoken. Again, a very similar story when there was an argument, I think. And then when he did learn Italian, a lot of it came back because he had kind of grown up for it. So this grandmother, she never did learn to speak English. And in our neighborhood, it was quite Polish, some Ukrainians, 
and Italians. Where was it? Where was the neighborhood? St. Catharines, Ontario, Mm -hmm. Canada, across the lake from Toronto in Niagara region, Mm. right near the border of the United States. And my grandmother went to Italian mass, shopped at the Italian store, worked picking fruit on the farm with the Italian ladies. So she Mm. didn't really need to speak English. I remember how excited they all got that generation when Canada went metric. Uh, I was about 10 years old or so, approximately. And then they understood, oh, this is how many grams of meat I'm buying. And so they were very happy when that happened. When did they leave? The family comes from between Naples and Rome. Yes, it's a town called Pignataro in Taramna, which is near... Casino and Monte Casino, mm-hmm. where the mm-hmm. big battle of World War II took yeah. place. And my father would have come over in, he was born in 1940, and I think he came over uh, 1956. And my mother was born in 43, and she came over in 1950. And the grandmother that you were describing, was that your mother's mother? Or that was father? my father's mother, but my mm-hmm. mother's mother was kind of the same. And they all came. They uh, all eventually, came. they were all. Yes, and they came with the few belongings that they had. And I have the two handmade hammered copper pots that my one grandmother came over with, and she would make her Sunday, you know, tomato sauce in, and I have them. They're like, they're our precious yeah, belongings. That's, they could leave there's, no leave paint, there's no painting. There's no painting. Yeah, but a saucepan. Yeah, yeah saucepan sauce is a memory, and it is mm-hmm. what she cooked with. So yeah. bringing that with her was part of her. Why did they leave, you know? Um, they left in search of a, a better life. They had lost everything. Well, they didn't have anything much. They worked their land. Mm. So it's not like they had vocations. Yeah. And they just went in search of a better life for their children. In Canada rather than the United States. Well, they were heading to the United States, but at the time they closed their doors and then they were not receiving any more immigrants. And somebody in the United States found a sponsor for my grandfather in Canada. And the other one, similar story. So yeah, one grandfather was a prisoner of war. They were both in the war. My grandfather's. Mm. My mom was born during the war, 43. And she spoke Italian? She speaks proper and dialect. She speaks both. When you say dialect, you mean the the dialect of that region? Yes, correct. And it gets even worse because then, you know, it takes on a life of its own in Canada. Not quite like the way the Americans, they've like totally butchered the language yeah. and I don't like the way they cut off the ends of the words when they say mozzarella and when they say they mozzarella oh, I know that's Tony me, Soprano do you remember Tony yeah. in in watching the Sopranos they would always makes call it mozzarella crazy. yeah 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 that's interesting <laughs> and so your your mother also your mother had both her mother and her mother-in-law correct with her yeah and did yeah. they all cook together Yeah, I think early on they did. And, you know, my mother is, because she came over quite young, she got quite Americanized and, you know, she, she, you know, she has an education and she cooks with recipes. She, um, but she also has all the recipes in her head of like what she 
grew up making. Who is the best cook of all of them, do you think? Me. You. Good. Okay, we're going to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> I like your answer. Okay, so do you want to read the recipe for gnocchi with tomato sauce? Gnocchi. I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> gnocchi with tomato sauce. Serve six. In my family, three. There's one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil. Two cloves of garlic, finely sliced. I would say a little. You can add more. Yeah, okay. okay. Good. 800 grams of tin peeled plum tomatoes. One kilogram of white floury potatoes. Your grandma would be happy that this is in grams, wouldn't she? Yes, yeah. she would. 130 grams of double zero flour. One large egg, lightly beaten and 10 basil leaves. Interesting. Heat the olive oil in a large frying pan over a medium heat. Add the garlic and cook until soft. Add the tomatoes, breaking them up. Season well and cook for 30 minutes on low heat. Bring a large saucepan of salted water to a boil and add the potatoes and cook until they are easily pierced with a fork. Drain and peel when they are cool enough to handle. Immediately put the potatoes through a food mill and then sift the flour over them, making a well in the center. Add the beaten egg. Using your hands, quickly mix to form a smooth, soft dough. Do not overwork the dough or you will make the gnocchi too heavy. Divide the dough into four. Using your hands, roll the dough into a sausage and then cut into pieces. Cook the gnocchi until they rise to the surface. Remove the gnocchi with a slotted spoon and then stir into the tomato sauce. Add the basil and if you like, grated parmigiano. Now we ran our gnocchi along a fork to get, yeah. to get the ridges. Yeah. Good. We can do that. We sometimes do ridges and sometimes we don't. I prefer without. Yeah, you prefer without. We were also talking today about gnocchi. I was talking to Joseph Trevelli, one of our chefs. He was saying, do you remember, Ruthie, how the cook in our house in Italy, called Giovanna, made gnocchi? And she said to us, when you form them, it was like you're doing a book, like you're making a book of the flour and the mixture. Because if you, it is really true that if you handle them too much, they do get tough, and so you want to touch the them. Because the flour as, gets overdeveloped. Yeah, it gets overdeveloped, and the idea that you want to make them as light. And actually, I also used to say that what we do is we'd make the potatoes and add a little bit of flour, and then put one in, and then they'd fall apart. And then you would add a little bit of flour, and you would do it so gradually that then you would know that you need that amount of flour for them not to fall apart. But the least amount makes them as light as you can. You know? And then once you've done them so many times, you, kind of, you just know. Yeah. yeah. And do you do them much? Do you make gnocchi? No. I have to tell you, the one thing in the kitchen that intimidates me, well, there's two things, um, is flour. Like pizza doughs yeah. and pasta doughs mm -hmm. and gnocchi is yeah. easier. Uh, pastry, I don't, yeah. need, I don't even. Yeah, yeah. I get so intimidated by yeah. it, and I make a mess, and I'm never successful with it. And well, we should do it. We could come when you come to London next time. We'll go into the 
cafe because okay, you heard her say it. <laughs> <laughs> because actually, the young chef we we teach how to you know make it, and I really relate to what you're saying. I'm not a pastry chef person. You know, I'm I'm never good with. I can do the science of cakes, but yeah, I it don't. Always just the measuring me. the measuring is it has to be so precise, and yeah. I like to venture off a yeah. little bit. I yeah. have to tell you about a recipe of yours that I try to venture off with. Oh, what was that? Your olive oil cake with polenta. polenta. Oh, the polenta cake. I tried to do it with olive oil. Oh, and how did that work? No. No. And then I tried um, <laughs> I tried to do it with a little ricotta. Yeah, and that's okay. Did yeah, that work? Yeah, better. And then um, I, w- I would love to get to the olive oil, almond flour, and ricotta. Mm, yeah, we could do that. Pastry chefs are really enjoying cooking with olive oil now as opposed to butter. But I do think butter is so good. And it's butter so and cakes heavenly. is so delicious. And there's something about that polenta cake, which is just it's three wonderful. or four recipes. You know, there's just polenta, there's almonds, there's butter and sugar. And you put it all in that. But you know, when, Yeah, once I've made it a couple times, though, I want to yeah, sure. just, you know, change things yeah. up. But this was during... The pandemic and I had plenty of time to, you know, like play with it, but it didn't. It, I so wasn't you never successful. made bread, though, right? If you don't like, flour, I'm not a bread. No, because you can buy beautiful bread from great artisans and bakeries, and I did with my friend a couple of times, but I made such a mess in the kitchen, and yeah, I get it. It just wasn't worth it. So what? What? What did you do in the pandemic? What did you cook? Oh, I I lived. In the same house as my brother, but on different mm. floors. In New York? Uh, no, in Canada. I wanted to be able to go outside, and I'm very immunocompromised. I have uh, a disease that affects my lungs. And living in New York, you have to, you know, in a tall building, it's difficult. But I wanted to be with my family. So we did a lot of barbecuing and smoking mm. and... Cooked a lot outside, even made pizzas outside. You did make pizzas. Did your brother make the dough? No, I had a friend come over to reteach me a dough, but it's like a yeah. three day ordeal. And yeah. I'm like, I'm you not don't patient. need three days to make pizza well, dough. Well, I guess like really sourdough. Yeah, yeah. You know, I did different doughs, but never, I'm, I'm not good at dough. I yeah, don't well, know what fine. it is. You don't have to be. It baffles me because I'm really good at other things. So, what do you mostly like to, but what if you, if I come for dinner, or lunch, what would you what would you want to make? Depends what I would find at the market. That That's day. a good answer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we always say don't go to the market with a shopping list in your head. You no. Know, that thing. Do you remember? I when I started cooking, I would be running all over London trying to find the ingredients. Some ingredient. And then you realize it's just when I lived in Paris for four years, that was one of the lessons I took away, which was that we lived over a market and you go downstairs and then you see what's there. And then you cook. And that's what we do in the River Cafe. You know, we change the menu for every meal because we come in like a domestic cook and see what's in the fridge, see what's been ordered, see what we have, and then we start to cook. That is the hardest menu to choose from. Oh, really? When, oh. It's not a very long menu. No, menu. but you want everything. <laughs> it's like really oh, difficult. Oh. To no. choose from that menu. I loved being there that night. I love we were at separate tables, which Johnny just said that was annoying. It was just to see your enthusiasm and your happiness for being there. Do you go out to restaurants a lot? I do. I do. What do you look for in a restaurant? It can't. I don't want, like, inferior food. 
if I'm going to eat pasta, that's like an indulgence for me. It because? has to be. Well, because it's I carbs. And well, because I just try and watch my weight and yeah. be healthy. And mm -hmm. I always have. But mm -hmm. if I'm going to eat pasta, it has to be great pasta. Mm. If I'm going to eat a steak, I mean, I eat everything. I don't want to eat a crappy steak. It has to be like the best steak. Otherwise, I'll eat at home, mm -hmm. you know. So I can get disappointed sometimes at certain restaurants. Do you go back to the same ones over and over I do. again? I do. Does the mood of the restaurant matter to you? How the waiters are? How the absolutely when you walk in, you want to feel welcome and taken care of and absolutely. safe. Absolutely. Yeah. You live downtown. My place is in Chelsea. Yeah. Oh, that's a good area. Is that a good area for food? You've got pesto, mm, no? Not that's so great. Shopping. Mm, art galleries. Art galleries. Okay. Art galleries. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. that's good to have, isn't it? Yeah. My son yeah. lived on Nineteenth Street. You know the building by Jean Nouvel. It's um, opposite yes. that Frank Gehry building. Yeah, mm -hmm. right there. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. It's you know around that? the corner. Oh. Yeah. The River Cafe is excited to announce the return of our Italian Christmas gift boxes. Our alternative to the traditional hamper, we bring you all of our favorites from the River Cafe, kitchen, vineyards, and the designers from all over Italy. They're available to pre-order now on shoptherivercafe.co.uk. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So let's go back to the beginning. You grew up with an Italian grandmother's, two? Two. Two grandfathers? Two. Your mm -hmm. parents. Mm -hmm. What was food like growing up in the Evangelista household? Well, I, I complained a lot because we always ate homemade food. And I wanted to have TV dinners or frozen meals or something out of a can. <laughs> I wanted clothes from Sears Roebuck. Mine was really Oh, my clothes my... were from Sears. 
<laughs> I used to think to my mother, not that we had money, but why can't we buy clothes out of a catalog? That sounds so My amazing. clothes were from Sears yeah. and Woolworths. And, yeah. yeah. So it was a lot of homemade food, and I appreciate that now. But, like, growing up, you know, I wanted the, the TV dinners with the compartments, you know, and the little apple pie in the corner. And But, yeah, my father took us out for dinner every Friday because my mother worked late. She was working in retail, Mm -hmm. but my father let us choose the restaurant. And by restaurant, I mean McDonald's or Denny's or the pizzeria Mm -hmm. or A&W, you know, fast food. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big deal because we were very spoiled with that. Yeah. And fresh, we had homemade pasta Wednesdays and Sundays. We had roast beef once a week. We would have steak or barbecue once a week. My father really spent a lot of money, I think, on food because he didn't have much growing up. They ate like a chicken or a rabbit once a week. This is until he was 16 and came to America. Yeah, until he got a good job at General Motors. And the food went on the table family style. How many of you were there? You and uh, me and two brothers. Two brothers. And he would serve us and he would put like this mound on your plate and you had to eat it all. And for him the most important thing was you weren't hungry, that you were nourished, that you ate. He also didn't want a lot of talk at the table cuz where he worked was so noisy. Mm-hmm. So There wasn't a lot of conversation. It was sort of like dive into your food and finish it because you're not leaving the table, too. Did you dread dinners or lunches or did you? No, I I didn't dread it. A couple times I did. I wouldn't eat the liver. And what would he do? Would he say you have to or would he understand if you really couldn't? Uh, They gave up trying to make me eat the liver. I have a friend who had amazing posture. She would just sit. I once said to her, you know, Veronique, how is it that you sit so well? She said, well, because at the meal, at the table, my father and mother said we had to always sit straight. It was just a thing. And she said, as a result, I hated every meal. She said, I just couldn't bear going, you know, she had great posture, but it came from, you know, just this feeling of just dreading a family dinner. And it's interesting about not having to finish your plate when you don't want to. No, in general, I like the food. Yeah, and maybe because we had to eat what was put in front of us, we weren't, there weren't cooking different meals for us. Like, Mm. we all ate the same. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because, like, today I love dandelion. And I used to go with my father in the country where no person or dog had walked. Mm-hmm. Um, there was lots of farmlands. And we would pick the little baby tender Shoots. chicoria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I grew up on broccoli rob. Mm-hmm. Everybody had a garden. And what they produced in these gardens was unbelievable. Well, tell me about it. Everything like tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers and different like radicchio and and then there were the fruit trees and then there was like basil all the herbs you name it onions and it was just all there and so you had your own garden full of everybody had the whole backyard was a garden but shared what the other one didn't have and it's not like we had a swimming pool Mm -hmm. or we didn't play in our backyards we played on the street or a parking lot did they bring the seeds, do you think, from Italy? Where did they uh, get so the seeds the for broccoli The seeds are a whole thing. Yeah. 
the seeds was like a network. And whoever had like the best tomatoes that year would do the seeds and hand them out. And it's so funny now you see all these heirloom tomatoes and I'm like, but those are the tomatoes I grew up with. Like none of them were nice little round tomatoes. And then the fruit trees and my father, he had a green thumb and he would graft he would do these sensational things like the apricot tree had plums on it and the red apple tree <laughs> had a branch with yellow apples and he would graft and it would be it would just be incredible and then he would make his grappas so do you think that then he would go work at general motors do you think that in his real passion would have been to have been a farmer or to have done this all day absolutely yeah well, he grew up, he didn't get an education because he had to work the land. And I know he had a donkey. And whenever he referred to Italy, he referred to it as the good old days. I think that would have been what he would have loved to have done because he was so good at it. We also had, it was so embarrassing at the time, we had some chickens and some rabbits, but we didn't live in zoning that allowed those. So, oh, and the roosters, when they would go off at 5 a.m. So this was oh a suburban. Was this yes, a suburban? it was a sub- suburb. Yes. And you were all, this community was Italian, was it? Everybody who had and the gardens Pol- that you're talking. And ta- Polish. And then you grew up with this culture, with this food, with these gardens. And then And then you happened? had to pickle it yeah. or put it in a Keep jar for the, yeah. or cure it for the winter. Mm-hmm. So we would make sausages. Mm-hmm. And they would buy the animal. Don't ask me how it got divided up and who did what. And then they would make prosciutto and capicolo. And we made our own tomato sauce. But they would have to buy more tomatoes because we would make enough to get you through the winter. Mm -hmm. And that would be like a passata. Mm -hmm. And everything got pickled, like eggplants. and. Did you have olive oil? No. Funny you say that. But they do buy... We don't have olives in Canada. Mm -hmm. But they would get somehow from, I don't know which dealer, some olives and maybe make some jars of olives. But they didn't make olive oil. They they bought that. It sounds, it just is a description of life in an Italian hill town. You know, when you, well, it was. It it, it absolutely was. That with them. And does it continue? It does continue. We still make the tomato sauce every year. When you say we, who would that be? The whole family. My father took a motor off of a washing machine for clothing, and he rigged it up to the machine that purees, you know, and separates the seeds and peels with the passata. So, you know, you wouldn't have to do it by hand. So this thing runs (laughs) and makes a lot of noise. But I don't know how many bushels we do at a, a per day, like bushels and bushels and bushels of tomatoes. They say that now in Italy because everyone is, you know, younger generation are leaving these hill towns. They're kind of empty. They're, they're going. But you can understand also why a younger generation uh, women might not want to peel tomatoes for the next season, you know, or to do that through the winter. But it is a tradition and it's a beautiful tradition of it is. that would be sad. It's, it is. It's, it's, it's one of, it's like it's, you come together that day to, to do it because it's too much work to do. You know, you need multiple people doing it because the tomatoes have to get dropped in boiling water. You know, they have the jars. The sausage is a lot of work too, yeah. you know, the casings. Yeah. 
That's the one thing I didn't like washing the casing. I know. The, did you see the movie 1900, Bertolucci's movie? And there's a very graphic part of it which shows the making of the sausages. And I did not. Yeah, it's a great movie. You should see it. It takes place in Parma, much more further north. Mm-hmm. But when you left, because you went to work quite at an early age. I was 18, almost 19. Oh, you were. What was that like leaving this culture of food? What did you do? How did you eat? I think I ate really simple. I was in New York for about a month or so, and then they shipped me off to Paris. Who shipped you off The to agency, because I, I d- wasn't so, doing so well in New York. They said maybe you'll be more successful in at Paris. At age 18? 19. And I was first in the Hotel Saint-André des Arts, but I got bed bugs there, so yeah. I went to the Hotel La Louisiane. My mom, I know Louisiane. I my stayed mom, there. My mom we found out our hotel, our hotel room in the Louisiane was being used during the day. I'm not kidding. <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, somebody once came home, and they would rent it out during the day. Oh, know? my God. Yeah, so we left the well, Louisiana. Well, that, <laughs> that was an upgrade for me. It was $10 more a night, and my mom had to approve that. And so I would go to the market on Rue La Boussy. Yeah, yeah. And I would, like, get a baguette and a piece of brie and a piece of fruit, and that's how I would eat on a budget. Yeah. We we moved into the Hotel Descend. Do you remember that one? That was next yes, door to that's Louisiana. Very that was nice a big one. step up. Yeah. What year was that? Well, it was in seventy three, maybe seventy two. Yeah, Richard, I was there in um, like eighty four. Yeah, so that was later. So I'm sure. Yeah. But I remember my it was that's pretty so rough. Funny. Oh my god. The best story I have about the the um, hotel we stayed in. Renzo Piano came to visit me. Richard, his partner, they were doing the Pompidou Center. Uh, I was sick, so I was in bed. So Renzo came up and talked to me until Richard came back. He was at a, at dinner. And we were just talking and, you know, I was sneezing. And then the phone rang and it was the concierge and he said, Madam, your husband is on the way up. And I thought that was so, so cool, the hotel. Oh, <laughs> they were, oh, they were oh. warning me because they thought oh. that I was in bed with my lover. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I thought that was in a cheap hotel. That was a pretty good service if I needed it. That's very good service. (laughs) From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. 
Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So I know we don't want to talk about things that everybody else talks about, but you were working as a model. We can recognize that you were doing that in Paris. And what were the restrictions on food? Because for your professional life, did you have to be... Back in the day, I could eat anything. So you had a metabolism that was fine. Crazy. I think it started to slow down close to 30. I started working out like when I was 27, 28, because I was like, oh, I think things are a little different. And back then, if you overindulge for too long, if you cut back on everything for three days, you would drop five pounds, (laughs) you know. And now it's very easy to gain five pounds in a weekend. Now being your age now. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the tyranny of the stories we hear of models having to starve, and I went to a show in London even now, and we had Edward Enfield, you know, our I friend, love and we Edward. love Edward, and he spent so much time talking about body image and what that means and how fashion has to adapt to women's sizes rather than women adapting to fashion. Well, there were years, maybe that's today, and that's great because Edward is a crusader, and... Um, He cares about humanity, and he cares about women, and he has done an amazing job with diversity. We have to be so grateful for Edward and the Edwards of this world. But in the 90s, a model had to adapt. Adapt to starving herself. To fit the clothes. Yeah. Correct. I think it's still now, because I went to see a show in London And for me, it was kind of painful to watch. I don't want to see that. It was really painful. They were so, so thin, you know. And you just thought, what did you do to, you know, maybe, as you say, a lot of them, maybe they had a huge plate of food piled up. But I don't think so. Some probably did. They're maybe not all. I know that when I was, you know, flying every other day and working and running around and jet-setting and globe-trotting. Mm. I had to work on keeping the weight on. Keeping it on. Keeping it on, yeah. Mm. And then there became a period where I had to really watch, and I started doing cleanses all the time, and mm. I loved doing these cleanses, but I think they were very harmful to me. What were they? Well, I did the master cleanse quite a few times, but I would do like medicinal cleanses where it's like a powdered drink, like the rice base, like Metagenics. There's different brands that do them. Or I would go to We Care once or twice a year for a week. Do you know We Care? It's Mm -hmm. out in the desert near Palm Springs, Palm Desert. And you just do liquids. It's mostly, you know, waters with lemon and mint and teas. And you get a glass of juice a day. And then you get a very diluted watered down vegetable once a day called a soup. But it's basically a liquid. It's a, star- yeah, it's it's a, a starvation it's, diet. Yeah, it's a- but it's amazing. Yeah, it's been like quite the journey. And I will never do the deprivation. I won't do that again. Mm-hmm. I, I won't yeah, do it anyone. again. No. No. But uh, there's something to be said for like a nice 24-hour fast with celery juice. Yeah. I mean, I do still enjoy like doing something like that. I find it refreshing and yeah. you kickstart your head in your mind into like a new place of like okay I'm 
I'm going to get on this like healthy track. And eating healthy can be very, very delicious. Of course I it is. I just happen to love vegetables. Your son. Mm. Tell me what you cook for your son and what does he like to eat? Well, he loves meat and chicken, and he loves protein. He loves my soups. Tell me about your soups. Like the other day, I made a pureed, and I even passed it through the sieve to make it super, super smooth, mixed vegetable soup. I make lots of minestras, tons. And I made my first one last week, and he went, oh, it's that season again. And well, like, That's good. He's that's happy good. if I give him crunchy baguette. Or crunchy sourdough bread or something to dip in there yeah. with some Parmesan. He's happy as can be. How old is he? He just turned 17. Oh, yeah, that's a big appetite. Yeah. Mm. Do you have a place where you can grow vegetables? No, I don't have a place. I will. Yeah. I will. It's I'm getting your... there. When He's going to go off to school in yeah. two years, and then I'm going to, you know. Is your father still alive? No, he uh. passed but you would you know how to graft an apricot onto a prune or prune I mean, I've, onto a, a I've seen him do it, but probably not. Yeah, but you could he grow. He had a green thumb, and the stuff he used to do, like his basil leaves were like bigger than the size of my hand. Well, I tell you, the grappa, he made it for years, and it was just awful. And then suddenly it kicked in, and he would make it from pears, from plums, I think peaches. And then they would do homemade wine, which all the Italians do. It's totally illegal. You know, they would make in their basements. And Did they go back? Did they go back to Italy? Yeah, I took my father back. He hadn't been there for 40 years when I took him back. I think it was 40 years. I go back every few years we visit. um, To the town where they came from. And then we are so grateful and thankful that we grew up in Canada because it would have been a completely different life had we, you know, grown up there. But we appreciate it. Well, I'm glad you didn't grow up there because we might not have had you in our lives. And it's it's important to have you. And so as I started out by saying, we often talk about food. And we know that you've described it as part of your culture and the garden and your parents and your family. And if you had a food that would give you comfort that you look to when you need comfort, is there one food that you might go to now, Linda Evangelista? Oh, my mom's eggplant, parmigiano. She made it for me for Thanksgiving in Canada. It's the first Monday of October, so I was just home for that. It's a different Thanksgiving. I remember that. It is, and we make regular Thanksgiving food, all the traditional things. But if you're Italian, the Italian food makes its way also. It didn't make any sense. It was not cohesive, but my stepfather farms with his son, and there were beets and Swiss chard, which are not Thanksgiving foods, but they were on the table. It was a mishmash. It was delicious. Eggplant parmigiana is good. That's a good comfort food. You should bring her to London. She sounds great. She is great. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're great too. Thank you for Aww. coming. This thank you so wonderful. much. No, thank you. We'll see. You. I do mean what I said I'm, about the River Cafe. Um, do I need to bring an apron, or you'll supply? I think we'll it. give you one. Yay. Yeah, we will. <laughs> <laughs> okay. thank, thank you. Linda. Thank you very much. That's great. a beautiful, beautiful recording. It's really thank nice. You. Really nice. I can't believe it's over. I know. It's just know. Like the time went so fast. I was like, I know. If you like listening to Ruthie's Table 4, would you please make sure to rate and review the podcast on the iHeartRadio app 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Ruthie's Table 4 is produced by Atomized Studios for iHeartRadio. It's hosted by Ruthie Rogers. It's produced by Willem Malinsky. Our executive producers are Sad Rogers and Faye Stewart. Our production manager is Caitlin Paramore. Special thanks to everyone at the River Cafe. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.